0: Welcome to SHIFT, a college admissions, ACT, and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have f- an affordable ACT course that includes everything you need to ace your ACT tests, a full textbook, tons of ACT questions backed by a memory-enhancing algorithm, videos on key topics, a built-in study planner, and full-length practice exams. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code PODCAST gets your 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Joan Casey back on the show with us. Joan, I'm really excited to have you back on. And I was wondering if, um, you know, you could just introduce yourselves to the people who haven't heard you before.
1: Thanks, Tyler. I'm excited to be back on as well. So I'm the founder and president of Educational Advocates College Consulting, and we're a national college consulting practice we guide families through the complexities of the college admissions process and we like to do it without anxiety and with some fun and we work with a wide variety of students that are applying to level uh, colleges at all levels of selectivity
0: yeah thank you so much and so today we're going to be talking about how to prepare for the ACT and SAT when you have learning differences right so i'd love if you could just kick us off maybe by explaining kind of like what the trends are with learning differences today, right? Especially it feels like ADD, ADHD are becoming a lot more prominent. Um, And yeah, then sharing some tips on that.
1: Sure. Um, So I think that, if anything maybe ADHD has been underdiagnosed i know that's not always the the the, the common perception but mm-hmm. particularly girls because they often have the inattentive type of ADHD and so they might be quieter and not necessarily like, you know, rowdy in the classroom, so they may get overlooked. So, mm-hmm. um, so ADHD is just, you know, one thing in a course, you know, people can have ADHD and it's not necessarily a learning disability, but if it starts to impact uh, a student's ability to perform well in school, then they can receive accommodations And then, of course, there are students who have all kinds of other disabilities. They might need um, accommodations for the SAT beyond extended time. Um, They may need, you know, somebody to assist them. Um, They might need a large type book. Of course, it's going to go to the um, digital soon, so that will change all of that. Uh, So, you know, as far as trends in learning disability, I think that, you know, in the last several years we've seen you know the changing um diagnostic manual of how what we used to call Asperger's was classified and that's now considered autism spectrum mm-hmm. so that's something that's changed and i think a lot more um young people are being identified as on the spectrum and getting the support and help they need than than maybe had in the past
0: got it yeah and i think it's it's important to recognize that you know I think that there is some skepticism or, or cynicism even about younger generations having so many more like neurodivergences and things like that. But they're also the first or really kind of maybe Gen Z was kind of the first and they're kind of the second, but like they're one of the first generations to grow up with cell phones all the time with computers all the time with all of these basically like intentionally addictive products, right? Like the product managers are not trying to, uh, get your kids addicted. They're trying to just get anyone addicted. Right. And then kids end up using Instagram or whatever else it is. Um, because that's the point, right? Like it's called engagement in tech land, (laughs) but at the end of the day, like they're trying to get you to use the product all the time. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, what kids these days are up against. and. When it comes to taking a standardized test, which is still very, even with the new shorter digital SAT, it's still a very different experience than kids have day to day, even with their learning, right? To sit down and plug away at a test for multiple hours. So it's hard. Um, Right. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: You know, I was going to say, I think another thing you hear a lot that's in the cynicism camp is that people will talk about affluent families shopping for a diagnosis so their child can get extended time on the SAT or ACT. Um, and I have to honestly say, I, I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm sure it has, but I really have not seen that very often. I have seen Students that do have a learning disability and maybe, you know, use extended time at school now and then, when they go to take the SAT, they really can't finish it. So maybe they hadn't applied for an accommodation through College Board, but then when they realize, gee, I really can't finish a lot of this test, then they apply. And I would not put that into the camp of uh, somebody shopping for a diagnosis. I think some families are just busy and they're not organized and they don't realize this is something that they should take care of early in high school.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think it's also important to like get ahead of it, right? Like to acknowledge that it could potentially be a problem and then seek solutions rather than kind of rushing to do it at the last minute.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I do, I do think that there are cases of students who take a standardized test for the first time and that actually shows their parents that they are having some struggles with school. Like, you know, we've had cases of students that they've had been BC students and You know, then they go to take the test and they really can't finish much of it. And then the family decides, like, maybe we should get a neuropsych evaluation. And they do. And then they realize there's a learning disability. So sometimes it can happen that way as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that that's also probably the first time that people really, like, face something that realistically, it, like, is challenged or hampered by it, right? I think a lot of right. kids get by, uh, right. you know, without really ever running into major issues until these tests. Well, So given all right. of this, how do you, like, how do you recommend if you're dealing with clients that have, uh, like, these kind of things going on, how do you recommend that they prepare for uh, the ACT or SAT, right, kind of starting from the beginning?
1: So I think the first thing they need to do is uh, apply for accommodations for standardized tests. So mm-hmm. for the SAT, they can do that anytime in high school. Um, you, if you have, if if a student is on an IEP, they almost automatically get approved for 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 a College Board for SAT and AP and, exams. And, and what PSAT. what is an
0: IEP just just for people? So oh yeah,
1: know. sorry. So an IEP is an indiv- uh, individual education plan. So if a student has what's diagnosed you know, as a learning disability that impacts you know, their ability to learn successfully without any kind of accommodations or direct services, then they may be recommended for an IEP. Um, other students might have what's called a 504 plan. So that's where they need an accommodation, for example, extended time. Um, But they may not need any kind of direct services, like they don't necessarily have to attend a learning center, I have speech and language therapy or anything like that at school. So they may be on a plan like that. And so if they have that kind of paperwork and they have the documentation, it's usually a pretty smooth process for the student and family to work with the designated person at their high school. And get that paperwork in and get approved. And if they, you can even do that from freshman year, and then it's approved, and you're all set for any test you take through College Board. Now ACT is a little different, so students apply for accommodations through their representative at their high school, but they also, at the same time, have to register for a test. So that's what makes it a little different. So they they usually won't do that till junior year. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll file the paperwork maybe they'll sign up for a test that's like you know 2 to 3 months ahead and then they don't have to refile the application every time they take another test, mm-hmm. but they sometimes have to log in. There's something called the TAA system. And when they register, they just have to log in and note that they're going to be requesting those same accommodations for another test. So there's a little bit, there's a few hoops to jump through for the ACT.
0: Yeah, I've heard that the ACT is a little bit more challenging to get those accommodations than the SAT. Um, and that also, that when the College Board, who runs the SAT, approves you once, you're kind of approved forever. Whereas the ACT, I think, yeah. you have to
1: do it every time. Right, exactly. Yeah, and ACT, I-, I think, has stepped up, and they seem to be re- responsive to students' needs. I've I've noticed. So, yeah, I think that's good. And then I think the next thing we would recommend a student do is to take a practice test for both an ACT and an SAT. So not, you know, not a real official test, but like a lot of test prep companies will offer practice tests. Mm -hmm. Some of them will even offer, you know, 50% extended time practice tests so they can actually see what it's like and i think then students can see which test is a better fit for them which one they score better on but also which one they like better and i think the only way you really know is to try so um sometimes you know people like to say oh if you have this learning disability then you're going to do be- better with the SAT or vice versa like for example the ACT has more sections so it there is some more time management involved so sometimes people will say if uh, somebody struggles with managing time maybe the SAT is better. But I haven't always found that to be consistent. So I think taking practice tests and giving it a shot and seeing seeing how you feel about them, how the student feels is, is the way to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So then when people are, so let's say they've got their accommodations sorted out or they're working on it, how do you get them set up to start preparing for the test, right? Is, is there any special considerations in the studying section?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think that there's a lot of free information that's online. So, you know, at, for college board, there's Khan Academy, which is a wealth of information, and there's all kinds of practice material that, that's geared to the SAT. Mm-hmm. Um, ACT doesn't have quite as much, but they have actstudent.org where you can get information. There's also guidebooks. I mean, I don't think there's like a different recipe necessarily for studying if you have a learning disability or not, because as an, as a person who has to study for school, you know, these individuals know like what they need to do to study, that they would apply some of their study habits. And I certainly wouldn't necessarily say like you have to hire a tutor, you know, or take a class to take the SAT because that's a really individual decision. But there are tutors out there that are experienced in working with students that have various learning disabilities that maybe you're more sensitive in understanding of how to approach the practicing with them or how to guide them when they're not understanding the content of the material and that kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, are there any special, like, study techniques that you feel like are helpful as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's a good idea to be familiar with the directions for each of the sections of the test, so when they go to take the test, they don't necessarily have to spend time reading them on test day. So they, when they approach like the first reading section, they know what the directions are already and they've kind of, you know, already practiced. So they, they know if it's familiar. Um, They definitely, these kind of, this kind of applies to everybody, but you know, you can certainly guess there's no penalty for guessing. So, you know, trying to narrow down your choices and and take a guess is is, you know, the same. But I don't necessarily think there's like here, here's the list of study skills for people with learning disabilities, because people with learning disabilities are all different, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you can have five kids with ADHD, and all five of those kids are going to study in a slightly different way. Some of them are just merely going to need a little bit more time, I mean, they're going to study the same way as anyone else. So, so it, there isn't really like a general set of study skills that I think would work well for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay.
1: So, yeah, then, what's sort of
0: the next next thing on your list?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's we should talk a little bit about the um the new formats, so mm-hmm. I think that the there are some really great things about the new digital s a t that could work really well for students with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's short, you know, as you already said, it's shorter in duration. The reading passages are shorter, so that can work well for students, say, with dyslexia or other language-based learning disabilities. You know, students with who have uh, slower processing, that kind of thing. Um, they're, you know, the, the, the format, though, it might not be as good for those who have difficulty scanning, um, you know, and filling in bubbles. Uh, well, I mean, for the people that do have trouble with the scanning and filling in bubbles on the current tests, like there are going to be a lot of new features which could really be great for them. So, for example they they can enlarge fonts. Um, there's going to be a calculator available. There are going to be formulas provided so students don't don't have to memorize them. You know, some students have difficulties with working memory and being able to hold more than one thing in their head at a time and act on it. So you know that will lighten the burden a little bit for those students. So I think that that is is potentially very exciting for students with learning disabilities.
0: Okay. But yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, but I think there could be some cons at the same time. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, the the SAT has this adaptive design so that students will, you know, but d- depending on how they answer the initial questions, eventually they'll they'll get, you know, easier or harder questions depending on how they do on those early questions. So, Sometimes, though, students with certain kinds of brains, they don't think in a linear fashion. And maybe for whatever reason, they wouldn't do as well on some of those early questions. And then they get tracked out of questions, but they might be capable of handling some of those more complex problems. And there there really hasn't been much much research done on this yet. I imagine we'll be seeing research on this in the next few years.
0: Got it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and then there's okay. anxiety, right, right, well, and
0: anxiety is kind of I think everybody has some level of test anxiety, right. especially when you've probably got all this pressure from your parents, and the, you know you want to go to some college that you've got in your mind, and you know that this is really important for that,
1: right. It- Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's true. Everybody has anxiety. I I can see the adaptive design maybe provoking a little bit more anxiety in students who are like really worried about, oh, if I don't get these first few right, I'm going to get tracked to the easier questions. Again, everybody might feel that way. But if you have a brain that's not linear in its thinking, then you might be even more worried about that. So um yeah so those are just a, a few a few things um and you know that you know as you know Tyler better than anyone the more students practice the more their score will go up that applies to everybody no matter you know whether you have ADHD or a learning disability or not um and you know so i think that you know it's um i mean honestly one of the things we're seeing a lot of is students that are opting to not take the tests at all, you know, They'll or they'll take the test and they'll get a score and they'll look at the, if they have really strong grades, they'll look at the scores, the ranges of the schools they're applying to, and they'll make a judgment as to whether it's worth it for them to continue to spend time prepping. If they're in the, you know, the ballpark or close to the ballpark, they might decide to keep preparing and take the test again. But in some instances, if they're really far off, then they may opt not to. On the other hand, there are some students who maybe are not performing that well in school, but actually do well on standardized tests. So in their case, you know, they it is worth their while to um, prepare a little bit more. You know, of course, their grades in school are the most important thing, but, it, you know, it's it's certainly better to... Show a, a halfway decent test score if you have a lot of C's on your transcript. So
0: yeah, well, I think in general, um, you know, that is the double whammy of these kind of disabilities, right? Is oftentimes they will be, or they'll be more likely to have trouble with like school itself, and therefore the transcript. Right. Um. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that that all makes a lot of sense. I I think then. For for students and parents, like what are some sort of action? What's like actionable? You know, top three tips or like advice that you give for uh, when they're when they have a student that has ADD or ADHD or another.
1: Um, uh, like when it comes to testing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing is number one: apply for accommodations. Ab- if you if you already have them, absolutely get that done. Um, you'll you'll have it for for a College Board for all through high school if a student decides to take ACT you know so they have to that's job one because if you you know whether it's extended time or some other accommodation like you you need that in order to be successful so that's the first thing they need to think about the second thing is to come up with a study plan like when are you going to take this test like how when are you going to have time to take a course or hire a tutor or prep on your own, you know, how many months do you need to do that? Do you you have the fall where you don't play a sport or you're not in the play? So that's a good time for you to take it. So kind of plan it out a little bit and sketch out, you know, when you're going to prepare and, and, you know, commit to it. And then three, like, what are the resources? Like, what resources are you going to use? What, you know, if there's a lot of great courses like your course, you know, that you can take, you know, figure out what is going to work well from a cost standpoint for your family and what's going to be most effective, and then just implement that plan.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything that we didn't cover today that you wanted to make sure you included?
1: I No, I can't think of anything. I think we've got it.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world. Hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Joan Casey from Educational Advocates College Consulting. You can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course by visiting achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.